welcome to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. Thank you for joining me today to discuss data and the importance of the NHS being data-driven. Uh, before we get into the topic, we should probably start with some introductions. So I'll go first. My name is Katia, as you know, and I work on the NHS team here at Evolution. Uh, we're a CCS framework supplier, and I specifically work with NHS organisations within the West Midlands. Um, Chris, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Sure. So my name is Chris Raymond Bishop. Um, I currently work as the Data Warehouse and Intelligence Analytics Manager at Worcester Acute. Um, so I've been there for about six years. Uh, prior to that, about three years at the ambulance service, almost reaching my 10-year stint in the NHS. Um, I think now I've been working in a technical career with data for about 25 years and worked my way through a series of technical positions. It's always been data and mainly health data that's been underneath, um, kind of underpinning all of that. Uh, now I find myself in a more managerial and architectural role, um, focusing on kind of passing that knowledge on with um, a couple of teams uh, trying to push the way forward for analytics in the organisation. Perfect. Thank you, Chris. Kevin, can I come to you next? Yeah, my name is uh, yeah, I'm Kevin Shine. I'm the, um, the ADO for Information and Performance at South Warwickshire University NHS Foundation Trust. It's a bit of a mouthful. Um, I've been uh, working in the NHS since about 1996, so I've been been around for a while. Um, I've been at uh, at Warwick Hospital for about six years, and I've worked for a few other trusts as well. Uh, even a little, I had a little stint at George Elliot as well. Um, so yeah, so I've been 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 around a bit. Perfect. Thank you, Kevin. EJ, would you like to go next? Hi everyone. Um, my name is EJ. Uh, I currently work as a information manager in. George Elliott, George Elliott Hospital NHS Trust. Uh, I'm in the division of uh, medicine, CSS, and UEC. Uh, and normally uh, to deal with all the uh, information requests and to provide um, the uh, digital um, uh, performance and monitoring uh, services uh, to the stakeholder, trust stakeholders. Thank you. Thank you, EJ. Okay, so now that we are all introduced, let's move on to the questions relating to the topic. Just a reminder why we're all here, data and the importance of the NHS. Uh, data and the importance of the NHS being data-driven, that'll get caught. Um, as usual, I'll work my way around the panel and ask each of you to pose your question. If you could give us some background, that would be great. So Kevin, please, could you start us off? Yes, fine. OK, yeah. And um, so for me, um, it's uh, the question is, um, how do you change the culture within an organisation so that it becomes truly data driven? Um, so um, becoming data driven is one of the uh, our main trust objectives. Um, I've got a feeling that the NHS has historically worked on gut feel. Um, as opposed to data. Sometimes they only use the data when it fits their agenda and they don't do it when it doesn't. Um, however, at Warwick Hospital, um, we've got some uh, sort of really data hung hungry execs um, who do want to um, you know, use the data for, for decision making. Uh, it's going to be um, sort of a long journey, I think, in terms of getting the whole organisation using data. And I'll just be interested to know um, how the others are approaching it. Thank you for that. Um... Chris, would you like to go first, please? Sure. Well, I took a look at this question. I thought, actually, we're going to need more than an hour because all the ways we could start talking and describing and discussing this would probably lead to a lengthy and very healthy debate. But I tried to have a bit of a think about it in advance, and I've kind of got two points in a bit of a roundabout way. Um, I think before changing the culture, I think you 
we kind of need to be sure that we've got absolute clarity on what that change actually is. After all, data-driven means different things to different people. So I, I would probably immediately question to what end? I mean, surely in an attempt to become data-driven, we must actually be trying to achieve a particular thing. Um, so what is that particular thing? Well, I guess there can be no better thing than an improvement to patient care itself. But I think we'll probably all agree that from time to time, data-driven sometimes, according to some people, just refers to a new tool or technology. That's not quite the same thing as if somehow this latest tool will provide some kind of holy grail to a situation that we're experiencing in a trust. So I guess for me, the first point is about continuing or a continued reduction in the focus on what I call the what, whilst re-establishing focus on something that I class as the why, to try and give a definition for both of those. So the what is the mechanism used in an attempt to improve the patient experience. Uh, this could be a new tool or technology which takes the lead or focus of a project, or maybe a technology-driven strategic objective. However, at the end of the day, these are nothing more than enablers of an actual end goal. The why, on the other hand, is the purpose, the, the directive, the specific, the specific patient care improvement that drives a project. Um, but it's also about providing visibility and an understanding to staff of where change is asked to them and making a difference. I don't often see, for example, um, you know, you want to make a change in an organization and you go to the people that are going to be impacted by the change and you say, we're asking you to do this because, and you explain why, you take the time to, you know, it's not just another administrative data quality data check function, it's actually something specific that we're asking them to do that has a direct benefit that they can measure themselves. That conversation can often be quite absent. So I guess the take on there is just to begin with, rather than using new tools as an entry point in delivering better patient care, it should actually remain a specific patient aim or objective that then seeks out the most appropriate tool. So going back to the, actually the question around culture change. So typically culture change of any description requires some kind of top-down driven messaging and reinforcement. You can't do anything without that. And I do agree that good leadership does play a very important and crucial part in any culture change within the NHS. However, um, in organizations as large as ours, those closest to the data also happen to be those that are closest to the patient. In this, in this instance, I, I firmly believe that empowering individuals to provide better patient care provides a second driver towards a data-driven culture. This time, rather than top-down, it's frontline up, and I'm looking for a better catchphrase than frontline up because that doesn't quite work for me, but you kind of get the idea. Um, I think it's fair to say that all of our staff working extremely hard for patients. However, it can be quite difficult to stand if efforts, their efforts have any real impact to the big picture of you know, one of the many problems, let's say patient flow. I guess that brings me to my second point. Um, change should always be evidential. So as human beings, we react incredibly well to positive feedback and incentive-driven change. Uh, take, for example, somebody trying to lose weight. So whatever changes they implement are self-judged on a set of scales. There's a feedback loop there. Those scales can act as an incentive, hopefully, to reinforce that positive change of their direction of travel. They're trying to make an improvement. So in terms of driving um, new health initiatives and projects forward then, this would equate into firstly predefining an agreed set of measures of success. Quite often, I've seen in the past, certainly in different places, um, projects launched without an understanding of how actually it's going to be classed as being successful or not. And 
without that, um, with, without the ability to measure if that change was regarded as successful, how do you know that's the right path for future projects of a similar elk for that patient? So with weight loss, um, it has a target. And therefore, by the same token, benefits realization also needs evidential metrics. And they not only quantify the measure of success, um, as a success is really binary, um, but can provide proof to staff directly that their changed actions are instigating better patient care. So I guess for me, this is where the data comes in. Utilizing the early adopter model to kind of get that ball rolling, because that still works in today's industry. Um, a really well-designed process that may require additional data capture should always look to close that feedback loop back to frontline staff. The incentive is the evidence that change has actually improved that patient care. So I kind of feel it's a two-pronged approach. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that, Chris. Um, EJ, what is your response to Kevin's question? Right, okay. Um, in terms of the culture change, immediately people will think uh, there, there can be some resistance. Um, so when it is, comes to change, there will be resistance, let alone just culture change. So why is why it will be difficult? Uh, it is probably because uh, when we move to technology, sometimes the definition, the uh, capability, the skills are not matched. But uh, when we engage the workforce to the trust to support the technologies, um, ultimately, if the change makes the work easier and everybody's job easier, that will people will just be happy to to adopt it. So um, I, th I guess the true question is just uh, it is really about uh, how how the data will um, automate ultimately help and make your life easier, make your job easier. So it will comes to uh, the data quality and the data definition. Um, how easy it uh, is is it to be accessed. So in terms of data quality, um, it will always be an issue that um, what is wrong, uh, what is making the uh, data process process uh, um, uh, fail. Um, sometimes it's just a technical issue, but sometimes it's a, a, it's a uh, um, it's uh, the report is broken. Um, when when we go to the uh, the data quality uh, topic, it's just crucial to um, in driving the innovation of the healthcare. So um, new technology and power of the development of AI is just means um, it always means difficulties in the in the workforce to to be engaged with with all the, all of these. Sometimes we need to explain, and sometimes we need to uh, give a proper training to all the workforce. Um, um, that being said, I think um, with the proper uh, implementation of the technology. Um, with a user friendly interface that can um, um, in the same time, we can introduce the um, uh, the easier accessibility of the technology, which uh, they can provide to the public and to the stakeholders, and they ca they can be accountable um, to everyone, to the public or the stakeholders, and to the partnerships. And um, uh, in terms of the data. Um, mm -hmm. 
we've just lost him. Let's give him a moment. It, it might. Um, I feel like this has been happening all day today. <laughs> Teams is not my friend. Hold on, let's see if he comes back. Oh, no. So, has this happened before? Is it, yeah. <laughs> have, you, have you got an emergency backup person to throw in? Don't ask me. <laughs> Chris, I'm not, do not ask me to answer your question, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should. should give it a go. You've been in oh, enough of these yeah. meetings now. I bet oh, you understand yeah. more than uh, oh, you give some credit for. Absolutely. Let's see if he comes back. I bet he's tearing his hair out right now, bless him. Oh, bless him. I know there's nothing worse. Um, okay, maybe what we could do then is come on to the next question and they'll be able to kind of hopefully cleverly knit all of this together. I'm sure they will, they're absolute magicians. Yeah. Do I do I give a bit of feedback now on what's been the answers that have been said? Or was that Yeah, was that, usually that... oh, he's ah. back. <laughs> Hi EJ, we lost you there. I'm so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Why does it happen just because when I was speaking? <laughs> oh, don't worry. Do you want to kind of carry on from where you were and then we'll wrap up the question? I'll go back to Kevin and just say, Kevin, how did you find all of okay. those answers? Was that answered? Is that okay? I'm not sure if you yeah, know where, yeah, you went, okay. where you were up to. I mean, do you want to start again? Uh, no, I think I, I, <laughs> I, I, the last bit is just just. Uh, uh, just a little, um, so uh, I'm fine with that. I, I can, well, I can just uh, summarize this: uh, yeah. the uh, data uh, data definition. Um, uh, sometimes we need to uh, explain. We need to uh, have a, a, a mutual understanding uh, of uh, uh, the receiver of the report and the uh, uh, and the designer of the report. So, so yeah, uh, that's my question. That's my response. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you, EJ. Uh, Kevin, does that answer your question? It does. Yeah. And I think I think the two sort of knit, you know, nicely together. So I agree that it's I mean, for me, I think it, it definitely has to be top down. You, you do need the, the support from on high um, to uh, sometimes enforce the, uh, the the use of data. Um, it would be nice if it does the uh, the front line up. Um, if you are able to actually get the clinicians to see that the data they're putting in is actually going to be a benefit to them um, so that they they become more engaged. Um, and even in terms of things like, you know, sort of mentioning about the data quality and that sort of thing. I think the, the things that we found here um, that have really worked is where we've, where we've worked with the ops teams and the finance teams and the operational teams and the clinical teams to do the report, then to actually see those reports being used in meetings and that improves the data quality then because then if you've got people in the room where they're told that the, if you've got a problem with the data quality see information before the meeting and not during it you'll it's amazing how quickly the dq suddenly sort of either the questions disappear or it improves um so i think in terms of it's the operation it's easy for me to say of the reports to actually get them being used in a in a room um, and that's when you, you start to see some of the benefits but um, but yeah, it, in terms of and in terms of culture, there is always resistance as well. People don't like sort of some of the change and, you know, so for us, it's it's going to be a long journey. Uh, we've also um, working with sort of George Elliott and Y Valley in terms of a foundation group piece of work as well, an analytical piece of work. Um, so that just just increases the complexity then. Really. Thank you, Kevin. OK, so Chris, could you please talk us through your question? 
Oh. Yeah, certainly. So um, the question itself, albeit somewhat long-winded, is um, given the national NHS directed directive rather of cloud first for digital services, I wondered if um, this had affected your deployment or migration strategies and what pitfalls you'd encountered on the way. So really, I think um, given the huge potential that cloud offerings now provide, there's clearly an appetite to um, both drive and consume services and utilize scaling capabilities, infrastructure as a service, this kind of thing. I kind of wonder what drivers have actually moved projects forward, if there are any within your trusts, and what obstacles you've had to overcome, both internally and externally, because both do offer different um, challenges. And also really how you've handled the costing side of things, given from what I can see so far, uh, revenue estimations offer quite the challenge. Thank you, Chris. Um, Kevin, could you start us off, please? Right. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So, so quite, a, quite a question. Um, so I'm a big fan of moving things to the cloud. Um, so uh, when I was at a previous trust um, where we worked with the PFI contract, which meant that we were tied into using physical servers and it meant that any changes to the environment would be very costly. Um, also, it would take quite a long time for these changes to come in and there'd be downtime and there'd be all sorts of problems. There's also a lot of downtime with the physical servers when we did any upgrades. Um, and so, I mean, this is going back sort of, you know, maybe 15 years, you know, we, we did look to the cloud um, to, to find some solutions to those. Um, and we moved our data warehouse over to the cloud um, and it was a, a different world for us. Um, you know, um, changing the specification of what we needed in the warehouse um, suddenly took no time at all. Um, it would take, um, in some cases, you know, hours from a request being put in um, to have more memory or whatever, and and it would be there. Um, and and also things like downtime. I, you know, the thing that really hit home to me about the benefits of of moving to the cloud is when we had a very apologetic email from um, the company that that hosted the sort of the cloud service, saying that there was going to be four second downtime um at, at sort of like three o'clock in the morning on a Sunday um you know and for me that was that was absolute music to my ears you know rather than you know up to two days of downtime you know you're now talking in seconds so for me I'm I'm you know yeah I'm, I'm a massive fan of it and for us back then it was it was much cheaper actually moving to the to the cloud um so um now nowadays so uh, sort of mentioned um sort of before about the sort of the foundation group work that we're doing um and we're looking at um bringing in power bi um and a lot of that is cloud-based um so there is an element already of that being i think azure or something i'm not the most technical person but i understand that there is going to be a cloud element to that um so you know as part of that we're, we'll be looking at uh, moving uh, over to there um, also, um, for our, our main uh, PaaS, uh, Lorenzo, that's that's cloud based as well. Um, so it's almost that some of these things are coming in by stealth um, is that everything else is moving um, to the cloud uh, and we don't want to be sort of left behind. Um, and it is something in terms of our sort of data warehouse strategy um, that we are looking at, at moving to the cloud. I think as well as I think George Elliott may be ahead of us um, in terms of doing that. Um, but it's but it's something that we we definitely um, be looking at doing. In terms of the pitfalls, uh, I think we've got to make sure that our local um, system strategies align to this. Um, as I say, at another trust I was at, they 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 bought a data center, so it meant that everything then had to go 
through the data center as opposed to the cloud. So we, we need to make sure that we're aligned um, to what others are doing, uh, especially in the system. I think we're aligned in terms of what we're, we're going to do in, in, in our foundation group, um, but we've got to keep an eye on what's, what's um, sort of uh, happening elsewhere. Um, and as I say, usually in terms of the, the finances, um, you know, we, we have we have found it's either cheaper or else if it is a little bit more expensive, it actually the benefits that you get offset whatever the pain is in terms of the extra cost. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it and, and it, I think it's I think it's coming anyway. Perfect. Thank you, Kevin. EJ, would you like to tell us your thoughts? All right. OK, thank you. Um, yeah, um, in terms of the. Uh, um, the cloud uh, security is the first thing I, I, I've been thinking. Um, so for the data um, uh, uh, accessibility, uh, we cannot um, just, uh, uh, well, data is not an open source uh, as much as we'd like to make it to uh, open to the, um, the stakeholders and the users. Um, the data security is always uh, a question. So uh, uh, thinking about the um, the national uh, uh, moving uh, towards to the cloud, um, I think um, to uh, establish the strong uh, security uh, uh, framework that will be the first question. Um, but I think um, we are at the moment. Um, I I'm uh, I don't I'm, I don't. Uh, read a lot of the security framework uh, development has been has been uh, has been um, um, uh, uh, established uh, for for a very long time um, because it, it is quite new and um, to think about uh, how to get the right access to the right people I think um, that is a uh, because it is cloud and it it needs to be uh, maintained uh, in life, um, so it is not something that um, uh, somebody is uh, leaving this trust and somebody is coming to the trust. How the accessibility is is um, is maintained is is looked after. That's what we need to ask, and um, maybe. Um, in the future, um, there will be a, a better solution. Uh, I, I don't, I don't quite know yet. Um, but in the next part, what I've been thinking is, um, yes, it is the costing. Uh, how we handle the costing is um, because it's remote resource. So saving the organization's cost of the servers and other equipment that will be uh, a, a very very beneficial to uh, to every organizations so um, for a trust to say um, healthcare data it's uh, uh, it's quite uh, time sensitive so um, using the the live and uh, uh, the cloud computing uh, uh, for the remote resource that will be fantastic. And then um, the digital transformation is the next uh, uh, part. What I think is the use of new and fast and and frequently changing um, of the of the uh, digital world, digital technology, um, so that um, this. Uh, 
new technology can solve problems um, just often utilizing the cloud computing. Um, so yeah, uh, that's that's what I what I can think uh, about this question. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you, EJ. Is there anything else that anyone would like to add before we move on? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, I think everyone's had experiences of it in some way, shape or form, and everyone's on their own journey because I think, as you rightly said, Kevin, it's eventual. You know, it's, it's going to happen one way or another. Um, the costing, I think, has been difficult to work out um, because trying to, let's say, on the data centre side, work out the VM cost for a given environment is not impossible. I know you're really looking at the pence for the electric meter and, uh, you know, how do you work out the rest? Um, I think the reasons behind wanting to shift to myself is that we're about to have an absolute explosion in analytical services. In fact, I'm just trying to write up a new strategy for it now. Um, and as an architect, I'm trying to ensure that the system that we put in place remains scalable because the moment it seems like it's not working as it should, I start to focus elsewhere and that's really what we're trying to avoid. So I'm just trying to make sure, and well, really for me, rather than spinning up lots of new servers, the easiest way is to shift certain things into the cloud and that way you can tap into other services like cognitive services for sentiment analysis, all this kind of wonderful thing as well. Um, security also is a very interesting one. Um, I know they talk about seven layers of security in the cloud, but it is very much down to the provider that implements that security because they could skip steps and without wanting to point fingers, we've obviously got a situation going on now with the one service that's been going on over the last few days. Um, yeah, interesting chat. Um, I'd actually be keen after at some point, Kevin, to have a chat about your prior experiences, actually. I think uh, just to dig a bit deeper would be quite uh, Brilliant. Great question, Chris. OK, so EJ, I'm going to come over to you now for the final question on the topic. Would you like to take it away, please? OK, thank you. So uh, my question is how automation and digital digital technology will change the future of NHS. Uh, so what I've been uh, uh, working uh, in in, my, in Georgia Elliott, in my current uh, trust, is um, we are trying to move everything to uh, to our automated services. So, um, uh, what are the uh, what are the benefits? Uh, do you think that automation can hold for the patient and the staff? And um, uh, what uh, what is the standards and the the framework can give people the the right support? And um, what is the big biggest challenge uh, for the automation and um, yeah, that's it. OK, thank you, EJ. Chris, can I come to you first, please? Sure, it was another question I looked at and went, oh, crikey, where do I start? Because again, automation is quite a big thing and digital technology, well, that's pretty much everything that we come to work for, uh, at least in my role. Um, I've got to start by saying I love the word automation. Um, for me, I know, well, it's, it comes in two, two sides of a coin, doesn't it? I love the word automation because that's really what my life and my technological career has been about. Parallel running, parallel processing, getting things done through the night, ready for people in the morning. That's the entire warehousing strategy right there. Equally, though, I have seen the term automation referred to in a negative context because depending on the industry you come from, let's say the manufacturing industry, automation takes on a very different turn. And so all of a sudden, you've got to think about how you phrase it and how you deliver that kind of technology to an organization because that meant job loss. And so some people have a very different take on what the term actually means. Um, so I think I'll actually focus on automation for the purpose of this question. And I thought, well, how on earth do I start with that? 
I thought, well, we're talking about the future of the NHS and how it can change it. Um, and I thought, well, what is the future? I'll be completely honest, I don't know. I don't know what the future is going to bring. Um, but what we can do is focus on perhaps what some of the current problems are. Um, and I'll focus on just one of those, which is quite a hot topic at the moment, which focuses on staffing and available staff time or lack thereof. Um, automation in itself, of course, comes in many forms. You've got the obvious forms. I've just talked about data warehousing, having things ready by the morning. Um, a very um, key term in the industry at the moment is RPA or robotic process automation, which is essentially where you've got an electronic process conducts, uh, let's say, an onerous automotive or administrative task that a user would do. Uh, it's a bit of a go-to solution for anything else that can't be coded um, because it can literally emulate a human being on a terminal. So you can literally do anything you like with it. But I think they're the obvious ones. What about perhaps some that are not so obvious, but still are classed as automation? And I thought, well, hang on a minute, you've got IoT, so the Internet of Things. Right there, we're talking about, particularly with virtual clinics, a lot of patient wearables, device tracking, this kind of thing. Readings that are taken from a patient that automatically get electronically transferred into analytical systems or systems that clinicians want to observe. Well, that's saving people going out, taking the readings. We're getting those readings several times a day. Um, there's an immense amount of time saving going on there. And I thought, well, what else? I thought, trying to wrap my brains and it suddenly occurred to me something we use every day while probably classes being invisible automation is that most trusts run what's known as an integration engine for those that don't know that's simply a system that passes message that passes messages between clinical applications usually so you enter it in one and it gets disseminated through the rest again saving lots of time but it's a huge huge industry and not necessarily one that's that new i think it's often classed as new right now purely because of rpa well, in reality, I think um, the overall aim is to reduce or entirely remove that human elephant. Um, elephant? That's a new one, element. Um, so in terms of benefits, and I'll focus on RPA just for this part, I think um, you're looking at any consistent repetition of a process. You, you could predefine that to a certain standard. That standard is going to be met every time because it's 100% guaranteed to follow it exactly the same way without distraction. Um, on the same token, then, there's a high degree in terms of removing errors from any given administrative process. But I have to interject there and say that's not true when you end up with a badly designed uh, automation process because it can go exactly the wrong way and cause you far more problems than you had. So it's really, really important to get it right. Um, of course, you can improve and enhance data quality. You can enrich your data with missing data that you wouldn't normally be able to collect. There's lots of opportunity there. But I think the biggest benefit, as I talked about earlier on, is really time. So you're freeing up staff time back in the trust by removing administrative overheads. You're allowing a person to give more time to the patient, which is really where the bottlenecks are, especially right now with the massive waiting lists that we're all experiencing. And that saving on staff time, therefore, is a natural saving to cost to the NHS. Um, I think it's at this point I probably have to provide a slight warning to go alongside. I think it's fair to say that no automation tool will work successfully without the correct underlying infrastructure and foundations in place. So if I go back to device tracking for a moment, there was a demonstration, absolutely fantastic demonstration I saw just a few weeks ago. And it was about device tracking and essentially it was a new, new tool to market and you place tags on medical equipment, and um, that medical equipment could be in the state of ready to use, not to use, depending on if it's being cleaned or whatever else. And typically with location tracking um, technology, 
they say this is accurate within one meter, three meters, five meters. And obviously the smaller the meter, the higher the cost typically. But the problem you then find is that even with something that is accurate to one meter, if it's sat against a wall, you still don't know which room it's in. Therefore, there's a problem. And this new tool, what it does actually is uses infrared because infrared doesn't penetrate walls to ping to the nearest Wi-Fi hub, which means you've got accurate um, room tracking for all your medical devices. Great, we all want it immediately. It meant, you know, it's going to be low cost, fantastic. Um, problem, you need the latest Wi-Fi hubs in the hospital because only the latest ones actually provide you with a Bluetooth network as well as a Wi-Fi network. So it's unusable until you've got that foundation in place. I think sometimes people can be very carried away, but I think rightly so at the same time, by the promise of what a new tool can bring, but there has to be an understanding that you've got to have every piece of foundation technology in place first before these things work. Uh, you know, technology really works in isolation. So uh, will it change the future? As I say, I think it's already been around for a long time, um, but that's not to say that we shouldn't continue to leverage the advantages that it provides. I think it's also worth bearing in mind that when considering RPA again, there does need to be a dedicated team in-house to handle the administration and monitoring of it. Um, clearly that costs, but case studies should be able to demonstrate the cost savings in the form of release staff time. And let's not forget the idea of automation is that once that process has been successfully created and it's highly scalable, and can significantly provide a massive amount of time back to the organisation. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Chris. Kevin, would you like to give your answer, please? Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll sort of uh, yeah follow on. I've, I've, I don't really touch on automation, so I'm, I'm glad that that Chris did. Um, so and I've, I've sort of um, I've sort of gone off on one and, and looked far into the future of the NHS. Um, but yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll start by saying that, yeah, this is a really big question. Uh, and I've got to say that the you know, a lot of it is already here. Uh, now um, and you know it, when you know the question is around the future of the NHS but then if you've got to think about maybe the, the different components of that um, so for the patient um, I think sort of the way they're you know with, with a lot of the digital technology now the way their health data is being collected um, will change and it's already changing beyond all recognition um, we've already got the wearables that, that people wear, you know, without being forced to do so by the by the, the local hospital. Uh, everybody's got the Fitbits. Um, we're now seeing intelligent home monitors being put into the homes of, of certain cohorts of patients or sort of dementia patients um, to start to track and, and look at the, their activity during the day. Um, we've got a sort of a system here at, at Warwick, uh, MySense. Um, which sort of does does just that. Um, so it's starting to collect quite a large amount of data without the patient actually being aware of it at all, really. Um, also, you've got data that you can input into your own sort of patient portals if you want to add in um, so, you know, some of your own readings and, and recordings. Um, so really, there's lots of, I say, almost real time data being collected um, as and when sort of the NHS needs it, really. Um, I mean, both my parents have devices that collect data about them each night um, and then it gets sent off to the local trust. Um, and it's, you know, it, we're in a, a point now where the clinicians can pick up issues even before, you know, the patients, you know, know anything about it. You'll get a call to say that there's something, you know, last night we noticed this. Um, so really for the, for the patients, the future is that it's, it's you know, it's going to be so much easier um, for them to actually be to be flowing the data, real time data, relevant data um, into the into the uh, the NHS. 
Um, and then you've got the next step, which is the, at the hospital and, and the staff working there. And sort of you touched on, you know, the potential sort of savings in uh, time and resources, you know, from the, from the booking staff in terms of automated bookings, um, you know, letters being sent out, maybe actually getting them to do something else that's that's maybe look a bit more productive um, for the clinician. Um, it probably mean that the data collection and analysis will be done before they see the patient. Um, so that rather than actually going in and seeing the the, the consultant, whatever, and he starts taking readings, measuring, that's already done. So you can make informed decisions um, uh, earlier. Um, and this is where I start to go off on one a little bit. Um, and when you start to bring in artificial intelligence, um, I mean, that'll mean that actually maybe even looking at the, the, the data and making the decision will be made without the, the need for a clinician or a consultant. Um, so, you know, you go to a point where actually so already uh, the donkey work of actually looking at that is already done. And when, you know, it, it gets the output of that um, and maybe the al algorithms will be such that they'll be able to analyze the data and make a, a diagnosis, prognosis, identify the best treatment plan. Um, so, in fact, do you need the consultant at all? Um, in fact, can this all be done in the patient's own home? You know, so eventually in terms of the NHS, the NHS might be that you're there with your devices and that sort of thing. And occasionally something will pop up to say that you're, uh, you know, this date and time, you will have to come in for this procedure without having to touch or go near the hospital. And that's 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 maybe way in the future or maybe not that far when you see some of the work that's been done, you know, in, in America and that sort of thing. Actually, some of this stuff is is already sort of here and now. So it may surprise us in 10 years, uh, you know, exactly where where we'll be. Um, and for us as, as information people um, and something that's really starting to hit us now, and I think sort of Chris sort of touched on it as well in terms of things being scalable, is that now we're suddenly being flooded with huge amounts of data. Um, you know, sort of, um, I've sort of mentioned my sense and it is providing so much data and it's hard to actually sometimes unpick it and see what's relevant and, and what isn't. Um, so, you know, and there'll be loads more of this other sort of clinical data coming in. Um, we need a way to be scalable so that we can we can um, work with all of this because it's going to be exponential, isn't it? You know, it over, over the next few years in terms of the amount of stuff that's going to come in. So there'll be there'll be yeah, challenges with it, with the data storage and the analysis and, and the data quality. And especially for artificial intelligence, for that to work, the data quality has to be absolutely spot on. Um, and maybe that's what we'll get all of our staff doing, checking the, the DQ and correcting the data. Um, because, you know, that that's, you know, DQ has always been a problem for the, for the NHS, um, well, for the organisations I work for anyway. So getting, getting the data good enough quality for AI might be, um, you know, might be a challenge. Um, so in terms of the NHS as a whole, um, yeah, does this mean a change of its focus? And I think in some areas it, it will be. And as I say, um, will the NHS lose out to big tech with some of these things as well? You know, will it be almost overtaken um, by, you know, some of the big companies that are bound to come in? And and will will it mean that the NHS is actually um, just left picking up the stuff that can't be done by technology? So, so you know, A&E departments and, and that sort of thing um, that, that can't be done remotely. So I think the long term future for the NHS, I think there'll be there'll be startling changes. Um, how soon that happens, I don't know. Um, you know, at the, the moment we, we almost seem to go from one position where we're struggling to know 
how many beds we have in the organization and, and within 10 years we'll be doing a lot of this stuff so it's it's going to be an interesting journey i think over the next over the next few years brilliant thank you so much kevin so is there anything that anyone would like to add on any of the questions that we've discussed today it's interesting i think the first and third question go hand in hand with each other don't they in reality mm-hmm. everything's about data we're trying to drive the data the point about ai is fantastic in my opinion um i think as you've rightly said AI to be successful requires large amounts of data. We're now in a position through automation where large amounts of data are available. So therefore, and so on. Mm, we need more than an hour. I could go on from there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we need we need a whole day, I think, on each one of these questions. I think they're... Uh... <laughs> well, there's always scope for another podcast. Just let me know when, you, when you're available and we'll, we'll meet up again. <laughs> but if that's everything, that takes us to the end of today's podcast, unfortunately. Until next time. Um, so thank you for joining me. I've learned a lot today. I'm sure anyone that's listening to this will feel the exact same. So yeah, thank you.